Hey, welcome to Thorn Creek Church. So glad you guys are all here with us. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, my name is Jeremy. In case you don't know, if you're just visiting with us, this is your first time. Uh, I'm our infrastructure pastor here at Thorn Creek Church. Our lead pastor, Pastor Ruben, is recovering from his shingles. I want to ask that you continue to pray for him. Uh, pray for his dizziness. Uh, this, he's got this swelling in his ear, and it's causing him to be dizzy kind of twofold. He was talking to me about it. It kind of feels like he's always wants to like fall over to the left, but he's also getting vertigo. So just pray that the Lord would reduce that swelling and, and remove this dizziness from him. And uh, also, I ask that you would pray for me tonight for this message. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's Palm Sunday, and we're going to celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem. So let's pray and jump into our message. Father God, we thank you for your love and for your grace. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you that you came into Jerusalem, that you, uh, you didn't turn away from going to the cross, that your love was so great for us, that you were determined to go and to save us and, uh, and to defeat death and to defeat sin, God. So we just thank you and we praise you. God, we lift up Pastor Reuben to you. We ask that you bring healing to his body. God, would you reduce the swelling? Uh, would you remove the dizziness? God, would you get him back here uh, as quickly as possible? I know his, his heart aches uh, to be back here uh, preaching and seeing everyone at Thorn Creek Church, God. So would you just, uh, just move in him? Jesus, we know you can do a miraculous touch uh, of his body and you can heal him. And so we ask that you would do it, God, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you again for this evening. We thank you for your word and just ask that you go before me, God. Set me aside, really. Just let your words come out of my mouth, God. I don't want to have a, a Jeremy message. I want to have a God message tonight, God. So have your way. Uh, we give this to you. We ask that you move in our hearts and uh, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So when I was 16, I got my first car and it was a 1956 Chevy Bel Air four door. It had a 1968 327 small block in it with an Edelbrock performance intake and four barrel carburetor. It had headers on it, dual exhaust and cherry bomb glass pack mufflers on it. It was awesome. Perfect thing that a 16 year old kid needs in high school, right? Uh, I loved this car. It was great. Now the problem was it was a 56 Chevy four door. So while it had a really awesome motor and it wasn't very fast because that thing just weighed like two, almost three tons probably. Uh, it was a lot of steel. But I enjoyed that car. It was really great. And unfortunately, one night I was working at the movie theater and I got off work and I come outside to the parking lot and my car isn't there. And that's a, that's a horrible thing. Have you ever had your car stolen? Uh, it's just a sinking feeling in your, and so I go back inside, I call my dad, I call my brother, I'm like, you guys are like playing a joke on me, right? You have my car, right? And no, they didn't, so, uh, so I was bummed. Uh, my car was gone, and I don't remember exactly how long it was, it was at least a few weeks, but uh, one night my dad comes in, wakes me up, kind of early in the morning, probably like three in the morning or something like that, and uh, he wakes me up, he says, all right, let's go, they found your car. So at first I'm excited, and then I'm like, oh no, what's my car like? Uh, so we go to the uh, police station and go back there, and, and there's my car sitting. It looks great, and I'm, I'm like super excited. Like it was running, it was there, they didn't have to tow it, it wasn't demolished. And so I start looking at it, the police officer tells me, go ahead and take a look at it, make sure everything looks okay, we can report what's wrong. So I, I open the hood, and I'm looking, and I'm like, those are, those are new spark plug wires. Okay, and that's, that's, a, that's a new radiator hose on there. Okay, so I, I kind of go back, I kind of look in there, and 
I think that's a, a new oil filter. They changed the oil for me, so that was kind of nice. And I go to the trunk, and I open the trunk, and there's tools in there that are not my tools. And, and there's a traction bar in there, a leaf spring traction bar, just one of them, which is weird because you should have two. And I look under the car, and, and there's the other one installed. And so I, I look to the police officer, and I say, um, these aren't mine, these tools and that traction bar. And I'm like, do you want me to use the tools and take it off? And he looks at me, and he says, well, do you want it? I said, well, yeah, I want it. And he's like, well, there you go. You have it. And so it was better than I expected. I got my car back with a tune-up and new traction bars. I didn't have to spend anything, just a few days in the shop, you know, a few weeks in the shop with these guys. And, and it was better than I expected. And, and I, as I thought about that, that, like, that's Palm Sunday. That's Palm Sunday. It's better than we expected. There's, there's all these ideas that everybody had as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem of what this was supposed to look like, what this was going to be. They had all these preconceived notions, and really, it was better than they expected. See, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, it starts Passion Week. It starts Holy Week. It's the last seven days of Jesus' ministry on this earth uh, before he goes to the cross and then raises again three days later for Easter and Resurrection Sunday. but So he's entering in and it's, it's a significant part. It's a big deal. It, Mark, in his gospel, he spends a whole third of his gospel on these seven days. The gospel of John, over half of it is of these seven days. It's a big deal. And, and Palm Sunday, we have all this excitement and all this cheering as people are excited. But Jesus' mind is really on something else. Jesus' mind isn't about the party and isn't about the excitement. As he's entering in, he sees Friday coming. He sees the cross coming. He recognizes the pain and the suffering he's going to have to go through. They're all praising and hoping for this new earthly king, but Jesus was riding into his death to save people from their sin. See, to understand the mindset of the people, as, as Jesus is entering in we, for the, and, and how they're looking at him as this new earthly king, we kind of really have to understand the history and kind of where they're at. So, so strap in. We're going to have a little history lesson real quick here, okay? So it starts with the divided kingdom of Israel. And in five, or 722 BC, the northern kingdom, what was called Israel, the northern kingdom was uh, taken over and, uh, by the Assyrians and they were exiled out of Israel. They were taken all up to Assyria and so the northern kingdom ceased to exist as, as, as the Israelites. And then later in 586 BC, Judah, the southern kingdom, was conquered by the Babylonians and they were taken out of Israel and taken over to, to, to Babylon and they were exiled. And so they had lost their nation. They had been a divided nation, which wasn't what God wanted. But now, because they've turned to idols, because they've turned away from God, God has allowed these other nations to come in and, and defeat them and take the Israelites into captivity. And then we, we move forward and the Babylonians are, are taken over and we have this Persian period. This is from 539 to 336 BC. And the, the Persian king Cyrus... He defeats Babylon, and then he, he has like this soft spot in his heart for the Israelites. So he allows them to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to the temple, to start rebuilding it. And we see this in, in the books of Ezra and the books of Nehemiah. In fact, the king after Cyrus uh, is Darius, and he continues this effort. He still allows the Israelites to go back and to start rebuilding their nation and their temple. And this is where uh, we start seeing them, instead of called Israelites, we see them being called the, the Jewish 
Jewish nation. We see them being called Jews and they start to worship in synagogues. They've been out and exiled for so long. They've recognized that we, we still need to worship. And so they weren't worshiping the temple. And so these, these synagogues, these churches started popping up and that's where they would worship. And there would, there would be teachers of the law there, not necessarily priests, but teachers of the law who would read the word of God and, and help people learn about God. And that's how they would worship and come together. And then the strife began to build between, between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the Israelites that were somewhat left behind when the Assyrians took over that northern kingdom, and they started to intermarry. And so they were intermarrying with all kinds of Canaanites and various different peoples, and they were not supposed to do that. According to the law, they were not supposed to intermarry. So now as, as, the, as the Israelites are coming back in, they're recognizing, here's these Samaritans, and they haven't been following the law. And so they kind of see them as these half-breeds. And, and that's why when we see in the Gospels, when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman, or he t- gives the parable of the good Samaritan, it's so impactful because, because the Jewish people would go, Samaritans, are you kidding me? We're not hanging out with them. And this is where that begins in this Persian period. And then we have the Hellenistic period, 336 to 165 BC. Alexander the Great comes in and defeats the Persian Empire, and he rules as far as India. And the end of the Eastern Empires brings Greek and Hellenistic culture to all the lands of the Mediterranean and the Middle East. The Greek and Hellenistic culture starts invading these areas, and uh, Greek religion, its philosophy, the Greek thinking um, starts getting intertwined with Jewish beliefs, and Greek becomes the main language that everybody speaks. It's the language of trade. If you want to trade, if you want to, you know, sell your goods, you've got to speak Greek because that's how it's doing because of Alexander the Great and this whole Hellenistic empire. And the Greek, uh, the Old Testament is actually translated into Greek. That's called the Septuagint. And this is actually probably the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus would have read. They would have been reading from these Greek scriptures and then this guy named Antiochus, he, he comes to power. He takes over this Syrian empire that's overseeing Jerusalem and, and, and all of the, the Jewish people. And he's just against Judaism. And I mean, like extremely against it. So he begins to try to wipe them out. He, he desecrates the temple. He forbids circumcision. He forces Jews to eat pork. He cancels Sabbath and their festivals. I mean, he's just... I mean, trying to destroy them, and which leads us into the Maccabean period. The Maccabees, they revolted against Antiochus, and this happened from 165 to 63 BC. They revolt, and Israel gains its independence, but it's short-lived, and it's actually kind of disastrous. It doesn't go well. Uh, there's a lot of infighting. Uh, we see the start of these various sects like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Essenes. All of these people start kind of making their, 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 little, their little sect of, of Judaism and what they believe. And the Pharisees were very strict and they believed the law and they wanted to do that. And the Sadducees were very much about the priestly order and, and kind of being, being the, the judges and, and the courts of all the people. And so they started kind of intermingling and, and, and all these things started developing. You see these breaks happening. And then this is a short-lived independence. Rome comes in 63 BC to AD 135. We see the Roman period in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Rome sacks Jerusalem in 63 BC and they take over. Now Israel exists as a people 
The, the, the Jewish people are there, but they're over, uh, overseen by the Romans. They are part of the Roman Empire, and so they must pay tribute, t- they must pay taxes, they have uh, Roman soldiers and all of that kind of stuff, maintaining order and all of that stuff. But they, they are ruled by Rome in a time called Pax Ramona, or, uh, and that's the peace of Rome. Rome was this huge empire, and they, they, I mean, they, were, they were ruling the world, and so it was a time of peace where they just ruled everybody, and if there was not peace, they just destroyed them. <laughs> they just got rid of them, and that's how, they, that's how powerful they were. And then Herod the Great comes in, and he's set up as king over Jerusalem and Israel, and this is the same Herod the Great that was in power when Jesus was born. And Herod the Great... He recognizes Jesus is born. He hears this, hears this king of the Jews. And so he, he goes through Bethlehem and he tells him to kill all of the two-year-olds and younger uh, to try and get rid of Jesus. And the Jews, Jewish people, they're looking and longing for deliverance again from Roman rule. And they want their independence. And that's where Jesus enters in to Jerusalem. That's the time period. That's what people are experiencing right now as Jesus is coming in on this Palm Sunday. See, Jesus is triumphal entry. It's now at hand, and it's actually a day of two processions, two entries. There's one of an earthly king or governor, Pontius Pilate, is coming into Jerusalem on this same day, and then one of a heavenly king, Jesus, who comes in to Jerusalem at the same time. This, this two uh, entries. Now, many were expecting a Palm Sunday, maybe like this. This is what they were expecting, right? Okay. <laughs> They wanted Jesus to be this earthly king and get rid of Rome. Now, what's awesome is this joke right here. It, it's on two levels. You guys get it? Because it's Palm Sunday, right? There we go. Okay. That, that's all right. That's right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the applause. That was, that was good. Uh, I have to give credit to my son. He, he helped me with that one. So that was good. Uh, the cr- crowds expected this new earthly king who was going to come in and save them from Rome. That's what they were looking for. They needed, they, they, all they saw was what was right in front of them, what was right here, that we need to be free as a people, as a nation. We need to have our freedom. And they're not looking at the things that Jesus is looking, right? It's better than what they would expect. Jesus is coming in to save them from their sins, to save their souls, not just save them from an oppressive government. Jesus entered into Jerusalem to face his destiny and to go to the cross, to be the lamb of God, the sacrifice for the entire world. It's really a day of contrasts. We see Pontius Pilate and we see Jesus. We see people wanting Jesus to be this earthly king, but he's a heavenly king. It's a day of contrasts and it's better than anything anyone expected. And it all begins with a donkey. We pick up in Mark chapter 11, verse 1. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street. Tied at a doorway, as they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. So Jesus is is very intentional here. He's, He's doing some very specific things as he enters into Jerusalem. He's getting this donkey. Uh, All through Jesus's 
ministry, he walked everywhere. He walked everywhere, except when he was on a boat uh, on the water. He, well, and even on the water, he walked, right? <laughs> he walked everywhere. He didn't need a donkey. Uh, he, he treated himself, he, he humbled himself. Uh, he was God in the flesh and he could have demanded to be carried around, to be put on donkeys and horses and all kinds of things, but he didn't. He, he, was, he was lowly and he humbled himself and he walked. And, but now he's being very intentional. Very intentional. Uh, I looked it up on Google Maps. Uh, to get from the Mount of Olives to the Temple Mount, if you're walking, it only takes about 28 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. So it's not like Jesus needed the donkey. It's, this wasn't something that was like, it's so far away. And this is, no, he's, he's, he's very close and he recognizes we're going to do something very special here. He's being intentional. And so he, uh, he, he tells them to get this donkey and he's making this shift as he comes to Jerusalem. He's, he's now going to present himself to the world. He's going public. He's no longer telling people to, to not tell people about him. Uh, if you remember early miracles of Jesus, he would heal someone and he would tell him, go, but don't tell anybody that I did this. He would say, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody about me, but he's not doing that anymore. In fact, right before this in Mark chapter 10, he heals a blind beggar and he doesn't tell him that he just lets him go. He expects him to talk about Jesus. Jesus has, has raised Lazarus from the dead and people are, are hearing about it. And Jesus is ready to start this, this, this full blown public ministry in into Jerusalem. He is ready and he is going forward. He's not going to enter in secret like he did. In John, we see uh, early in the gospel of John, uh, Jesus's brothers tell him, hey, you need to go into Jerusalem because it's a festival of tabernacles and you need to preach. You need to teach people. And Jesus says, it's not my time yet. It's not my time. I'm just going to hang here. So his brothers go and he stays in Galilee and then he sneaks into Jerusalem and he actually does start doing some teaching, but he, he's trying to keep it on the down low, but not anymore. Not anymore. He says, go get this donkey and it's time. It's time to go public. And he sends his disciples to get this donkey, this colt that's never been ridden. And Jesus tells them exactly what to do, what to expect and what to say if they're questioned. And I find this interesting because Jesus continues to be God. Jesus continues to be the Messiah. He knows what people are going to ask. Probably because it's a little weird. It's a little weird to just go up and take someone's donkey and say, it's, it's for the Lord. I, I can't just go over to Omera and like get a brand new Mustang and say, it's for the Lord. I'll bring it right back. They're not cool with that. But Jesus has gone before the disciples and his, his favor has gone before. And they go and they, they, they get this donkey. And what sticks out to me here. What, gets, what sticks out to me here is the disciples' obedience. You see it in, in Mark's gospel. He tends to be really hard on the disciples. As you read through the book of Mark, he really kind of digs into the disciples. He talks about like, well, they just didn't get it. You know, as Jesus is talking about parables, like the parable of, of the so, sowing the seeds, and Jesus kind of digs into the disciples is like, how are you guys ever going to teach anybody if you don't get this? Mark has this opinion of the disciples that like, they just didn't get it. But we don't see that here. We don't see Mark tell us, well, the disciples were questioning, like, why would we get a donkey or anything? They just obey. They just, they just walk on. And, and so there's no hesitation as Jesus tells them. And it's this very big shift that happens even with the disciples that, that they're now understanding. They've been walking with Jesus long enough to know that and Jesus asks us to do something crazy, we should probably go do it because it's going to be really awesome. <laughs> How many fish do you have? How many loaves do you have? It's going to be really cool. 
uh, Lazarus is dead. We need to go see him. This is going to be really cool. They've seen so much, and now they just walk in full obedience, full trust, and full action. See, God desires the same trust from us, the same faith from us. And it's not always easy. It's not easy. That's why they call it faith. It's, it, it, we don't understand it, so we have to take that step and trust in God. But that's what God wants from us. He wants us to obey him. To have this sense to, to, that, that God's going to show up even when he's asking us to do crazy things. And, and as I looked at that, I thought about that, like, what keeps us, what really keeps us from obedience? What keeps us from following God when he may ask us to do really simple things or maybe really weird, crazy things? What, what holds us back? I, I think one thing that holds us back is, is our trust in our own knowledge and our own experience. Uh, we, we just trust in our own knowledge. We trust in, in what we've learned. We've trust in what we experience. So if I've never experienced that, or I've, if, if my experience has shown that that won't work, well then God, I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's going to work. In my experience, Lord, it's not going to work. We, we give God the kind of like, pep, like I know you're, you're, you're God of heaven, but down here, this is how this works. We trust in ourselves. That's what keeps us from, from obedience. We, we're afraid. Oftentimes we're fearful. Fearful of the unknown, fearful of giving up something, fearful of losing something. We say, God, if you ask me to do that, well, then they might not like me anymore. Or, or they may unfriend me, God. Or, 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 or I, may, I may lose my job if I do that, God. We have all of these fears and, and we don't trust in the Lord because that's what we need. That's what he wants from us. Uh, something else that may stop us is, is we just don't want to. God, I know you said that, but I don't want to. That's called Pride. We don't want to give, give Jesus the authority over our entire life. And so what may keep us from obedience, what may keep us from, from following God is just that pride that says, you know what, God, I just don't want to. Sometimes we don't understand. Do we have any people who like, I, I need to fully understand before I take this step. I've, like I've got a spreadsheet and I know the pros and the cons and I know how God's working. And, and then if I see it and then I know it and I know everything that's going to happen, then I can take the step. Well, that's not faith. <laughs> That's not faith. If we, if we know and understand everything, there's no faith in that. But that can keep us from being obedient because I don't see the whole big picture. God, you're not showing it to me. We limit God. We limit God. That keeps us from obedience. We put God in a box. God, you can't move in this. God, this is too big for you. God, it's been going on for way too. I've had this chronic disease forever and you haven't moved already. What means you're not going to move now. God, I'm just gonna, I just have to rely on, on other things and, and I can't rely on you. It's, it's, it's in those things. We, we limit God. We put him in a box. It keeps us from being obedient. And all God wants us to do is to trust in him. Just like these disciples. I mean, he asked something kind of weird. Go get the donkey, take it. If they ask, tell them it's for the Lord and you'll bring it right back. And they just go. They just trust he wants us to break out of all those things and walk in obedience because we can be obedient to God's call when we trust in him because of who he is. Because he's faithful. He's true. He's good. He is love. God never asks us to go into things that are going to be harmful for us. He always has our best intentions. He's always knows what's, what's going to be there. And he's gone before us. When he asks us to do things, we can trust in who he is. I was listening to a message uh, from Life Church, Pastor Craig Rochelle, and, and he was actually talking about someone else who gave a message and I don't remember her name, but she said this. She said, this is the coolest thing. God is holy. He cannot sin, which means he cannot sin against you. 
which means he is the most trustworthy person you've ever met. If God is that good, then, then what's holding us back from that obedience? It's our fears and our, our, our pride. And, and we can let those things go. God wants to, us to let those go and just go with him because uh, we want to be like those obedient disciples. Who, who no longer are ridiculed by Mark is that they just didn't get it. They questioned. They had the wrong motives. No, now they're in a place where they've walked with Jesus long enough and they know it's time. Here we go. He wants us to go. We're going to go. They bring Jesus, this donkey, to fulfill a prophecy. In Zechariah 9.9, we see it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet... He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The king comes humbly on a donkey. That's what a king in peace would do. See, a king who comes on a horse is a king of war, a king who's trying to show strength and and dominion and power. But a king who comes in on a donkey is coming in humbly, really assured of his kingdom. Jesus comes in on this donkey to fulfill this prophecy. But Pontius Pilate's coming in on the other side and he's on a horse. He's coming in as Rome with troops and other men and, and soldiers on horses and, and all kinds of, 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 of shock and awe to say, we are Rome, we are here. And here's Jesus on the other side of Jerusalem coming in on a donkey. They entered on different sides of the city this is the, the beginning, this day as they enter is the beginning of the Passover. The, the week as they celebrate the Passover. Jerusalem normally had about 80,000 people in population. But during the week of Passover, it would swell up to two, maybe even three million people. That's a lot of people in a small little place. And so Rome, what they would do is send their governor, their king, their Pontius Pilate to come and show, we are Rome and you will Stay uh, orderly. You will not try to uh, rise up against Rome. You will have rule and you will have order in this place. That's why Pontius Pilate is coming in. Because the Passover celebrates what? Israel's release from Egypt. Their independence. I mean, for Rome, this is a big deal. Here's a group of people that are going to celebrate what God has done by delivering them from oppression. (laughs) I wonder what kind of ideas they're going to have. (laughs) Rome says, no, they send Pontius Pilate on this horse and he's showing dominance and strength and he's, he's trying to rule over them. But Jesus enters on, on this donkey and on a donkey that's never been ridden, mind you. It's really cool. I mean, a donkey that's never been ridden, one points to its sacredness. It's only for God. It's not for anyone else. Also, it's a donkey that's never been ridden. It hasn't been broken or anything like that. It hasn't been trained. Yet Jesus gets on it and it's not bucking like crazy. and try. It, Jesus shows his authority over all creation. And he comes in on this donkey. Pilate enters with force to subdue the people. Jesus enters humbly to save the people. Pilate has domination on his mind. Jesus has death on his mind. 
As he's coming in, everybody's cheering. Everybody's looking for Jesus to be this earthly king, but Jesus' mind is on something completely different. Have you ever had that? Where you're, you're like, I'm supposed to be here, I'm coming in here, but like, I, I, my mind's somewhere else. That was kind of me this week. <laughs> We've got Holy Week coming. I'm preaching twice there. I'm preaching. I'm like, I've got to get this message. And then I got two more to do. And Easter's coming. And there's all these things. And like your mind can just be on those other things. Your mind can be distracted. And, and Jesus is, while he's going and he's doing this and he's fulfilling this prophecy, he sees the cross. He sees the cross. Verse 8 says, Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the field. We see this mindset of the people. They're honoring him as an earthly king. You see this actually in 2 Kings where people would throw their garments, their cloaks down on the ground. I, I, as I thought about this, I, I was really kind of blown away. By, I mean, I've, just, I've never honored anyone like that. I've never taken any of my clothes, a cloak, a, a coat, or anything, and, and put it down for someone to walk on in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a show of respect and honor to say, like, I don't even want your feet to touch the ground. I mean, that's, pretty, that's a pretty big thing. And they're not just doing it for Jesus' feet, but they're, they're, it's for the donkey. They're saying, like, I don't even want the animal that you're riding on for his feet to touch the ground. I honor you that much. And, and they're doing this and their, their cloaks, their garments. I mean, these are, these are peasants who are often doing this, who are on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And so their garment, their cloak, that's probably the most valuable thing they own. And to throw it down on the ground to be trampled on, because it's not just Jesus and the donkey, which is enough. I mean, an animal with hooves that's is going on these, these cloaks and these garments. And, and this isn't like guest jeans and Jordash or whatever. These are, these are, these are their, their everyday stuff and it's getting ripped up and there's hundreds and thousands of people walking as well. And they're just giving this up because of Jesus. And I thought, how do we approach Jesus? How do I approach Jesus? I mean, oftentimes we're like these people and we have an earthly mindset. And we approach him and say, Jesus, I need my car fixed. I really need my car fixed. Jesus, I, 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 need, I need a spouse. Jesus, I need a spouse. That's what I need. I need these, these external things. Jesus, I, I need this new job or, or, or fix this relationship or, 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 or go for the, do this. And, and I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. We're supposed to bring our burdens to Jesus. But oftentimes that's all we're doing. We're going with just problem after problem after problem. How, how often do we throw down our cloak and say, Jesus, I honor you. Come into my life. I don't want your feet to hit the ground. Take whatever it is. We think we need Jesus to fix all of our external problems, but what we actually need is him to work inside us. You need the forgiveness of your sins, not a different president. You need the humbling of your pride, not a new relationship. You need the softening of your heart, not revenge on someone who hurts you. You need the increase of love for your fellow man, not more followers online. You need the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you, not a new job. You need the joy of the Lord, not to move to another city. These are the things we need. And that's what Jesus has his mindset on, right? There's this, this expectation. The, the, what, what is happening on Palm Sunday is so much better. So much better than what they could see. It's these contrasts. 
was a day of contrast. They, they saw that they wanted this earthly king, but he says, I'm coming in to give you something way better, way bigger. He's coming to save souls from eternal damnation. Jesus is not the savior of just the Jewish nation. He's the savior of the world. He came to seek and save the lost. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He came to turn this world upside down and inside out. He came to free people from shame and guilt that comes from sin. So they could walk in obedience to him. So they could have a new life, a full life, a life that only he can give. So when we see Jesus' triumphal entry for what it really is, a salvation of our soul, then, then we can celebrate and praise with the people that we see in Mark 11. Verse 9, those who went ahead and those who followed. There's people in front of Jesus and behind him. He has a huge entourage. And they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. This is a great word. It means save. It literally means Lord save us. Lord save us. They're singing it. They're excited. Jesus is coming. Save us Lord. And it comes from, from, from Psalm 118. It's likely they're not just singing that part. They're singing the whole thing. There's this huge worship that happens. They've thrown their cloaks. They've thrown their palms. They're waving them up and down. They're just like, this is it. This is it. Hosanna, Jesus, save us. And they sing this psalm. I want you to hear it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but the name of the Lord, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. Amen. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Hosanna. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live. Hosanna. And will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. 
Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Hosanna. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. It is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Here it is, verse 25. This is what they're singing. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And let's say it all together. His love endures forever. This is worship. This is big worship. This is is Jesus is coming in. Hosanna, save me, worship. This is Jesus, you're my only. The only thing that I have is you. It's Hosanna, save me, Jesus. We praise him for what he's done, for what he will do, and what he's, what he's going to do. He's gone to the cross for us. He's, he's defeated death and sin. He's become the sacrifice to pay for our sins. Hosanna, we worship big. We can't hold it in because Jesus has died for me and died for you. There's nothing better in this world. Amen. When you recognize what Jesus has done for you, when you see the cross, when you understand the torture, the whipping, the persecution that he went through, when you see the sacrifice he's made for you, you shouldn't be able to even hold it in. Jesus says it, Luke 19, as he's coming in, it says, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. How dare they? Verse 40, he replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst out in cheers. That's who our God is. If you can't contain, if you if you can't contain your praise, you let it out, and if someone tries to stop you, all of creation will cry out to who Jesus is because he's coming in on this Palm Sunday. He's heading to the cross and he's gonna die for you and he's gonna die for me so that we can have life with him. Amen. Put your hands together. This triumphant entry, it's bigger than presidents, it's bigger than rulers, it's bigger than governments, it's bigger than my car, it's bigger than my job, it's bigger than my finances. It's about eternal salvation. It's Jesus. It's bigger than our worldly deeds. And if we don't cry out, the rocks will, creation will, because Pilate's coming in and he's trying to stop everybody and trying to tell them, you're not going to rise up. There's no salvation for you today. That's what the world tells us. But Jesus is coming in. He is the Lamb of God coming in on Passover, ready to be sacrificed. I love John MacArthur explains it like this. He says, according to the Mosaic law, a sacrificial lamb for Passover was to be selected and set apart on the 10th of Nisan. And that's when the sacrificial lamb arrived. That's when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem. And the sacrificial lamb was to be crucified on the 14th. And that's Friday when he was crucified. The lamb of God is coming into Jerusalem. 
We celebrate today because Jesus is triumphant. Not triumphant over earthly things. Triumph over, uh, he is triumphing over heavenly things, over spiritual things, over, over our death and our destruction. He comes to save us and he does it humbly on a donkey. Because he died for your sins and he died for my sins. And he defeated death. And we're going to praise big next weekend. We got baptisms. Don't miss it. True life transformation. God moving in hearts, saving lives. And we're going to celebrate big. Jesus enters humbly on this donkey because you know what? Jesus is going to come again. But he's not going to be on a donkey. He's going to be on a horse. The war horse. And he's going to cast judgment. And he's going to see who follows him and who doesn't. And it's going to be a totally different picture. But today, we celebrate this day of contrast. This day that's even better than we could ever expect. Because Jesus is coming in. He didn't come in on a, on a horse. He came in on a donkey. He didn't come in royal robes. He came in humble clothes like a peasant. He didn't come to conquer by force as earthly kings did. He came to conquer by love and grace and mercy. As a true servant and, uh, and his own sacrifice for his people. He doesn't have a kingdom of armies and splendor, but of lowliness and servanthood. He conquers hearts and minds, not nations. Jesus is here. Hosanna. Praise him. Praise him. Jesus will come into your hearts triumphantly. I just ask if you're here and you've never made that decision and you're recognizing that Jesus is what you need, then all you have to do is say this prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I love you. I need you to be in my heart. Come into my heart like you came into Jerusalem. And I say, Hosanna, Lord, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins, Jesus. I need you. I put my life in your hands. I ask that you fill me with the Holy Spirit and change me. Move in me. Maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Christ, but you recognize maybe you're not as obedient as those disciples. As you've had some things holding you back, or maybe you haven't been praising Jesus enough, or, and you haven't really been honoring him, and you recognize that, you know what, this is Jesus coming into my life. He has done an amazing thing, and I just need to do more of that. I want more of that. Then you just say, Jesus, I need more of you today. Come triumphantly into my heart. Help me rip away those things, those pride, the fear, the worry, the anxiety. I give it all to you, and I just want your peace, Jesus, in my heart. I need you. I need you. I need you. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for coming. We thank you for coming into Jerusalem. We thank you for coming in on this Palm Sunday, doing way more than we could ever expect, doing something greater than we ever could imagine. God, you are good, and we love you, and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.